developing your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. We're so glad you've chosen to tune in to DLC, especially if you are one of our geeks in sneaks using this podcast to power you through. Maybe you're working out. Maybe you're in the gym. Maybe you're running. Maybe you're just sitting in traffic. Whatever the case, we're going to be with you in your ear holes for 90 plus minutes with gaming goodness because DLC is your downloadable commentary for the week delivered the way we love it to be. And that is completely free. Thanks to our sponsors this week, Brooklinen and Squarespace. Squarespace! They're bringing the show to you, DLC, of course, the show all about games. And there are many forms, games played on desktops, laptops, and consoles, and also games that involve dice, luck, and cardboard. I'm your host, Jeff Canato. That's spelled with two N's and one T. And I am joined, as always, by my friend slash co-host slash nemesis. The guy who is ready to have his WrestleMania moment every single week. Mr. Christian Spicer. Hello, Christian. Hello, Jeff. Uh, I think it was a couple weeks ago I had the zoo as my parting gift. I took the girls to the zoo today as of we're recording this today. And I ran into a listener there and I wanted, and, and in my head, I picture that parting gift motivating their visit. And then we met at the zoo and it became this whole thing. You know, it's, it's just a nice, it's a nice moment. So listen to the parting gifts is what I'm saying. I was gonna. I was thinking that you maybe were gonna say that we have uh, a large giraffe contingent of listeners. <laughs> no, Some giraffes but, were listening, or maybe a monkey or two. No, no, the giraffe said they only listen to gamers with jobs and slash film. <laughs> they listen yeah. to you, but not not our not our video game show. Yeah, that tracks. That tracks. <laughs> uh, we're recording a little bit early this week because uh, I want to watch WrestleMania, so we're recording oh, yeah. Saturday night. Yeah. Uh, and I'm excited. We have, uh, one of our favorite guests back with us. It has been too long. You know that DLC always stands for your downloadable Kanata and your downloadable Christian. But this week, oh, it's very special because DLC now stands for Dad Like Us Club. Because for the first time since he's become a father, we're welcoming back Editor-in-Chief of Game Rant, our friend, one of our favorite guests, Mr. Anthony Taormina. Welcome back to the show, Anthony. Hello. Yes, I'm a dad. I have a child. How's that treating I, you, uh, man? How you doing? How you holding up? Any sleep? Yeah, plenty of sleep. Uh, he sleeps through the night. He sleeps like for like nine hours. 
Wow. And he's, yeah, he's a little, uh, That'll little trooper. That'll change. He, oh, he, but no, he doesn't we, sleep at all during the day. He does not take naps. He doesn't what? do any of that stuff, but hmm. he sleeps like you put him down. So are yeah. you sure that you took home a baby and not a full grown adult? Was there a mix up um, at the, I would just like to say that he is uh, two and a half months old. And when we took him in for his two month checkup, the doctor said he is the size of a four month old baby. So that might be true. My goodness. He is, he is a giant. Wow. Well, uh, I'm so happy to hear that, although a little bit not happy because you shouldn't have it that easy with your first child. But I will say I mean, that, yeah, it's still, it's still, it, I still feel the pains of everybody, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's, there's a, a, a lot of positives, especially with the sleep. Well, what we don't know is that Anthony's wife gets up every 20 minutes, but Anthony just sleeps through it. And he's like, ah, another full night of sleep. Right, babe? This, if he's this like, kid's yeah, amazing. <laughs> Best wife ever. Uh, yeah. Well, um, I'm hopefully it won't change, but for us all, everything changed like every two months, everything changed. So, uh, hopefully, uh, hopefully, but, but yeah, I'm, I'm so happy I'm, for you, I'm man. Prepared. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, it's very exciting. You know, uh, Christian always said, you know, you, the best thing in the world is being a dad and he was 100% right. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. So now we're all three dads. How great is that? Yeah. Three dads. Uh, just did you in guys time. play video games this week? No, no, we did not. No, <laughs> it just like becomes that show. <laughs> right, right. Uh, no, we have. We've we've played a lot of stuff. There's stuff to talk about. So let's get into it and start the show the way we always do with story of the week. Story of the week. It's the story of the week. Story of the week. It's the story of the week. Story of the week is the part of the show where we make our case for the most important stories that happen in the world of games this week. And you can always submit stories for our consideration by visiting our subreddit, which is 5x5dlc.reddit.com. Some fun people hanging out on the Reddit, so I encourage you to give it a shot. Check it out. Head on over. Weigh in. Give your thoughts. Uh, Anthony, you are our guest, so you get first pick of stories. What would you consider to be your story of the week? Uh, my story of the week is, I, I guess, it's going to be the whole month of Spider-Man news, but this uh, this week was the confirmation that Spider-Man for PS4 is coming out in September, specifically September 7th. Yeah, I think uh, we're supposed to say Spider-News, Spider-News. This is a month of Spider-News. Yeah, so it's kind of like there will be more, but this was like the... Because, you know, you never know. You, they say 2018... But you never know, and they finally said, yeah, it is 2018, and it's earlier than I expected. It's a weird month. It's it's a lot of weird things, but I'm excited because it's coming out. September 7th, as you mentioned, and we have heard some interesting tidbits. Friend of the show, Brian Intahar, I was interviewed by Game Informer, big Game Informer cover story about Spider-Man, the new Spider-Man for PlayStation 4, exclusive to that console. Uh, we got some interesting tidbits, uh, Mary Jane will be a playable character in the game. Uh, there are a bunch of unlockable costumes, including Spider-Punk and a wrestling suit. Kind of cool. We got a confirmation that both on the PlayStation 4 and the PlayStation 4 Pro, the frame rate will be locked at 30. It's a bit of a disappointment, but cool that it's locked at least. Uh, there'll be a photo mode, so if you want to get your daily bugle on, uh, you can do so. Bunch of different editions, digital deluxe edition, collector's edition, as you might expect from any big AAA release these days. Um, I'm I'm excited. September seventh, earlier than I thought, and you know this holiday f- 
fall release window keeps moving up, creeping up earlier and earlier. Uh, September 7th. Anthony, is there, is there anything here that surprises you or is this sort of kind of what you were expecting for a, a rollout of this kind of info? I guess the, the, the thing that surprises me the most, I, I think uh, me and Christian actually sat in on the E3 demo uh, last year. We, we were in the same E3 demo uh, and it, it it looks like a Spider-Man game. So I, I have all the confidence in the world that it's going to look and play like a Spider-Man game. But I think the the more interesting thing is is the release date because it's it almost seems like the industry as a whole is saying, we don't want to go anywhere near Red Dead. I don't care that September is maybe not the most attractive of dates. We don't want to go anywhere near Red Dead. Yeah, I guess that might be a, a, a big part of it. Um, that's, that's an interesting takeaway. Yeah, man, I think... If we thought last year's Game of the Year discussion was challenging, I think this year's is shaping up to be just as challenging with with uh, uh, God of War and Red Dead and Spider-Man and who knows what Nintendo's going to bring to the table and maybe Microsoft will have some surprises for us. But we are, you know, there's some there's some cracking games out there already that are on the horizon that we that we know are big heavy hitters. Uh, also in this info is the fact that. This game is, quote, several times larger than Sunset Overdrive. Um, Christian, I know you played a fair amount of Sunset Overdrive. I know you didn't care for it, uh, as I didn't either. But uh, it was a pretty big open-world game, and the idea of this being much, much larger than that uh, is, is pretty cool. Sounds like it'll be a big, meaty Spider-Man experience. What's your take on this? I'm excited for the game. Like, touting, it, that's one of those new, I don't know, it's not even that new anymore, I guess, but new stats that games throw out now. Like, it's bigger, it's the largest, It's it feels like the evolution of the Skyrim or Zelda, like, see that mountain? You can go there, <laughs> you know, kind yeah, the of thing. Yeah, the first thing that was, was uh, hours, right? It was the in the 90s, it was like, this is a 100-hour game, an 80-hour game, a 90-hour game. And then as open world happened, it's like, Square kilometers of <laughs> of uh, open world is the, what they touted. Uh, yeah, but I I do think I, I that that has something. Say, you know, that is that is an interesting bit of information comparing yeah. it to a game we know. Yeah, I just hope. I mean, it, yes and no, right? Okay, bigger in what sense? More missions, more square miles, uh, more story missions, more side missions. I just wish I wish they would have said it is substantially better than Sunset Overdrive. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care about size; yeah. it's the motion of the ocean, Jeff. That's there, what there is a there is kind of like a. I know maybe you don't get the, but you stream, Christian. When you stream. Are, are the two most popular questions you get, how long does this game take to beat and show me the map? Cause I get that. <laughs> it's like the, it seems like those are just like the two barometers of like whether a game is worth playing these days. Mine is always, how long does this game take to beat and show me your penis? And I'm like, it's not that strange. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. It's late. It's these late night streams. So it's a different crowd, I think. Mm, Christian. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think, I think especially in the, in the post stream culture, Unfortunately for game designers, there is this incentive to make games larger and grander because people who are faced with a short game experience are like, well, I'll just watch the stream. I don't even need to buy it. I'll just sit down and watch it for a few hours and get the gist or see the entire game from start to finish for that matter. Um, so maybe that is this weird uh, Ouroboros eating its own tail type of situation where you know, they want longer so that they won't watch and they watch to find out how much longer and it all is just this <laughs> incestuous little thing. Um, but 
I don't I don't mean to think of it in a negative light. I I do think it's pretty exciting to think that there's going to be a big fun New York City for Spidey to solve crimes in and and find cool side quests to do. I, I think that's um that's an exciting notion and I'm very yeah. excited for this game. Very excited. Likewise, and I hope I hope that size matters here because I don't know how big of a game Sea of Thieves is. You know, is it square, well, nautical miles? Like it's sure. a pretty big game. I don't care. It could be 10x that size, and I would still have not played that game since you know whenever it was I last set foot on a boat. Um, so, and then Spider was it Spider Man Two, which had great web swinging, but then it was like go find these 400 red balloons, and I wanted to find the guy that was making the red balloons and kill him so he'd stop giving kids with slippery fingers these red balloons. <laughs> um, it depends on what that content is. I have a lot of faith in the Insomniac to knock this out of the park, but. The idea of, and even like God of War, Corey started touting, has touted the hours. You know, he, he likes to say, oh, I just met with, I've seen him like, and maybe he actually really does, but on several different days and different interviews, he'll say, oh, I just met with, you know, so-and-so, and he just finished a complete playthrough, and it was 40 hours. It took him over 40 hours. I actually just left talking with him right now, and it, it took 40 hours. And it's like, oh, okay, I mean, that doesn't mean it's good, right? It's like, oh, the director's cut? It's five hours. That is five hours. Yeah. We actually didn't edit this movie. It's just dailies. You're going to watch Star Wars Episode Nine dailies. It's 20 hours. Well, 20 I, hours. I agree with you that that in the abstract isn't a metric that denotes quality, but certainly it denotes value for your dollar, right? Is if you, no. if, well, if you, if you assume that it's something you want to do and that those are parallel discussions, right? You would say, Hey, I think this game is really good. And then, in parallel to that, you go, well, you're going to be able to play it for a long, long time. There's a lot of stuff in it to do. The one has to accompany the other, but it's you're not saying them both at the same time. There are two parallel trains of thought, right? You can go, well, is the game great? Yeah, the game's great. Oh, well, can I play it for a long, long time? And is there lots of stuff to do? Yeah, there's also lots of stuff to do. I don't think you have to have both things happen in the same sentence. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah, no, and that, it, it's the assumption, right? If you assume that uh, a small snippet of a game will then last and carry over for an incredibly long amount of time and retain your value and uh, retain your interest, then sure, great. It's great that there's a lot of it. Yeah. But I don't, I don't agree with the assumption that length determines um, value for your dollar. Well, I think to some extent it does. I mean, if if it's if it's something you want to do. And there's a but lot a of game there. <laughs> we can move on. That's a different argument, though. You're assuming the first part, and then you're stating the second no, part. No, I'm just saying that the, the first part isn't involved in the second part's uh, statement of fact, right? It's like people who ask how long a game is all already are assuming that they want to play it, right? They're not, they're not using that as a metric on how good the game is. They're saying, I'm excited to play this game. Is there a lot of it to play? And I think that's all that they're saying in this. They're not saying the game is good because there's a lot of it. They're saying... It's also good, and you'll get a lot out of it. I I would argue that it it is a. I feel like those have become marketing tools. Is how long does your game take to beat, and how big is your map? And I don't think that people look at that and and see it as uh like even a value proposition. They just they want like they want the biggest game possible just because the the biggest game implies quality. Hmm. I guess. You know, because they see games like Skyrim and Grand Theft Auto and they say, well, those games are massive and those games are good. And then they just kind of like say, well, games that big must just be good games. Hmm. Whereas I think 
you know, a fun three hour game, I would be more interested in pl- paying $60 for a, a complete experience than something that, you know, has 20 hours tacked on of just collecting balloons like you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I'll, I'm, I'm right there with you. I'll, I'll put Moss up against, you know, 90% of the stuff out there and I'll take Moss any day of the week. Cause it, it's four hours. I played in a sitting. It, blew me away. It was completely immersive and beautiful and wonderful and magical and had really cool challenges and puzzles and all kinds of cool stuff. So, uh, yeah, I'm not arguing, I'm not arguing that either. I'm just saying that, uh, from a marketing perspective, I don't know. I don't, I don't hold it against them that they put this out there. Cause I think it is information sure. that is useful in a purchasing decision. Here's the curious thing. Why didn't they use a comparison to New York city? Like, why didn't they say, like... It is the same size as New York City. Yeah, or, like, you know, it it just... It seems interesting to me that they were like, well, the map is about, you know, this much larger than this game that not a lot of people played that was exclusive (laughs) to a console that you're not going to be able to play this game on. Well, I do think that Sunset Overdrive is the game that you point to and go, man, Insomniac could really be awesome at making a Spider-Man game. Because everything about Sunset Overdrive that wasn't the plot and characters uh, was pretty great. I I thought the traversal was really fun and and the the way that the world had lots of stuff. It was very densely packed with things to do. It just was like, I didn't want to play that ridiculous bro dude. You know, It just, it felt interesting to me, especially in light of the fact that like, they're promoting a PlayStation exclusive by comparing it to the map of an Xbox exclusive. <laughs> that is funny. They're like, that hey, funny. You guys, you play this game? No, we have PS4s. Oh, <laughs> well, the map. Well, it's so much big. better then. You made the right choice. Uh, that's funny. Anyway, I think we can all agree. I mean, it was uh, the DLC game of E3 last year. Uh, Christian and I were both really, really impressed with the E3 presentation and and so much so that we awarded it our game of the show. And uh, so it's certainly at the top of our most anticipated list for the year. So um, I, I'm, I'm excited that September 7th is, is earlier than I thought it was going to be. And as you said, Anthony, lots more spider info. Uh, I'm sure will be trickling out as we approach that date. And I feel bad for shadow of the tomb Raider. I mean, oi, I, I, I yeah. still, hopefully does i hope it's a good game i don't know you don't know anything about the game but it's like they came out and laid out there like september 14th they were going to be telling you more information soon and then spider-man swung in and was like oh cool we'll take september 7th then bye yeah <laughs> also destiny expansion yeah do you care anymore yeah i was gonna ask you that i i think that's interesting though that they're like it used to be a lot it or it felt like developers were a little bit afraid of september because the destiny expansion was like it's gonna come out it's gonna you know suck people's uh time for a month and then they're gonna be ready for october games and now sony says "Eh, we don't care and sony's kind of uh bungie's partner or Mm -hmm. or activision's partner on the game and they're saying like eh you're not you're not doing so great with this. Well, I just, I I don't know even know if you can read in that much. I just feel like it's so brutal at that time of year. It's like where are we going to slot our game? We're just it's all I'm sure there's going to be a big release every week from starting in September, you know? But is there? We'll find I don't feel out. like there's that that many, I guess. I, I feel like I last feel like... year last year it it felt like that. Maybe it wasn't exactly yeah, that. Yeah, last but it year felt definitely like felt like that. Yeah. But like I I feel like there is there's you could you could release early October and be fine and and avoid Red Dead, or you could release 
in almost any time in November and be okay, but they they picked the beginning of September, yeah, which is which is a odd choice. Interesting, uh, Christian. What is your story of the week? Um, it, it leads to hopefully a, a slightly different conversation. But what I think is interesting is um, Monolith announcing that they are taking out all microtransactions from Shadow of War, which kind of was the precursor to the loot box controversy that came up. Uh, with Battlefront 2, uh, Shadow of War being the sequel to Shadow of Mordor, and the big hubbubaloo about it was you could spend real-world money to get gold and war chests and buy orcs, and the, how that changed the the game from the first one in terms of the nemesis system and going through and, uh, what are they, not capturing, but whatever, mind-controlling people to get them on your side, and then the end game, uh, according to some, was very grindy in a way that it seemed to encourage paying to get orcs to kind of maintain that base defense thing at the end of the game versus spending the time to grind to have an army strong enough to to do all that stuff. And Monolith, uh, I think one way to look at it is saw the press that Battlefront 2 got for eliminating microtransactions from its game or, I guess, retooling its progression system. And now they wanted to try it. The game's six months old. Let's get some positive press out. We're not really making money from these microtransactions anyway. Maybe this will give us another little boost. Um, but what I found interesting is they their explanation for it, which was posted on uh, the Warner Brothers community forums by Monolith. And the, their explanation was that while it provided options for players, uh, they found that it kind of negated one of the core principles of the game in terms of immersion and people caring about uh, going and capturing these orcs and creating your army. If you knew that you could just go out and buy one, it ruined immersion in the world. And I think it's fascinating. I think it's fascinating on two fronts. One, that if that is the case and taking it at face value, that six months after a game came out, they decided that one of the core principles of the game they messed up on. Uh, and then admitting that and changing it. And then two, which I think is is the larger question, is at what point are we okay, Anthony, with game features being removed from games? And here it's microtransactions. I think we'll all stand up and clap and be like, yay, okay, get rid of those. But like, at what point are, are we like, well, you, you took something away from my game. Like, how is that good? Like, what if... You know, and I know there are other smaller examples or different examples, but like, does Bungie come out on September and say, and by the way, we're getting rid of all PVP because we know that there's been problems. <laughs> and like, are we okay sure. with that? Like, where does that start and then stop? And is Shadow of War an example of this slippery slope we're on? Uh, I would say that, that this is, this is a reaction to they released that first DLC story expansion. It didn't sell very well. And they went, Oh, uh, we have one more coming. And, <laughs> People seem to not really be keen on because I I the microtransaction stuff in Shadow of War it's super inoffensive in the game and then you get to the to the end game quote unquote and it it's a it it's like a almost a requirement to see what is a really cool ending there is like a, a, you know an addition to the ending of the game that actually helps tie the game into the movies or the books. Um, and so it, it's more the movies, but it, it's it's kind of like you you just are almost kind of like disgusted by it because you're they're basically saying like hey we hid something that was actually really cool behind this, and now they're giving up on it because 
they have DLC coming out. It, you know, if, if, if they really cared about how people felt about these microtransactions, they would have been gone from the game sooner. Like why, why now? It's kind of pointless. That's I, yeah. I don't, maybe they just were drying up. The money was going away. I don't know how DLC like story-based DLC. Cause that, those people are already invested in the game. Maybe it thinks they'll bring people back that soured on it because of that kind of thing at the end. Uh, like that grind. I have a couple of friends who, went through it fine without it and they just kind of played it as their daily challenge right they'd go in grind a little bit pop out grind a little bit pop out and just approached it like that um i just think it's fascinating that if they are being honest and saying hey we messed up like we've ruined the immersion in our world knowing that you can just buy an org which is one of the critiques the game got at launch um and it's this idea of jeff something we've talked about the idea of player freedom or choice versus a developer's design decision for a game where, you know, is this kind of an example of what was it? The burnout paradise where you could buy all the cars and like, certainly that ruins the progression or immersion in a world where you don't need to do these races to get these rewards. It's just here. They all are. We realize you're busy. Give us five bucks. Like, is it a thing where giving players options to purchase items for games can then ruin a player's experience with the game? Like give them too many choices and it makes it worse for them? Well, I mean, I think that this is one of those cases where everything, all signs point to wrong. <laughs> uh, it, it clearly <laughs> wasn't popular with the community. It, it it didn't do well for them. I think it hindered uh, acceptance of the game as a whole, like the game, I think underperformed from what, where they were envisioning this big sequel to a very popular lauded first uh, entry in the series. Uh, it, it didn't, it didn't grab the zeitgeist. It didn't, you know, it didn't, it didn't get mind share. I, I would bet that they didn't sell these things and the numbers that they anticipated selling them, both copies of the game and in-app purchases. So, I, I, I hesitate to even frame it in the way you're suggesting, which is sort of like a indicator of a design decision. It just feels like something that they tried and failed and they're walking it back. And the idea of it being sort of this, uh, trend, you know, that, uh, uh, I think that the thing we have to, acknowledge that is very clear when you look at the industry is that games are fluid now. They are not, the thing you buy is not necessarily what the game is always going to be. And it is, things are going to be changed and added and taken away. Yes, taken away. And I think that even kind of framing it as taking something from the player, I think kind of misses, misses the reality of it, which is that, these things are being changed on the fly. I mean, if I bought a, a whole number of games thinking something about them and then the, those features were, were changed with a patch, balance changes all the way up to, you know, huge modes of games being removed or subbed out or the way the games operate now. And it, it, it doesn't matter if it's a single player game or multiplayer game. That's just the way video games are created now is that they will change over time if the people making them do well enough to keep working on them. And that is the goal. I think with every game coming out is 
to have it be this living thing that gets supported after it's released. So I don't, I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing. And I also don't necessarily think this is a bad thing for this particular game because clearly it wasn't very popular. Uh, it does smell a little bit desperate to me, but maybe it'll work. Maybe, uh, maybe there will be a resurgence of people playing this game. So they, you know, not having the, the responsibility of having to spend extra money to get extra stuff at the end. Yeah, uh, it's interesting. I, I don't know if I uh, agree with your your theory on... Well, I guess I do. I agree with what you said. It, it is how games are today, and they're fluid. But I don't think that means that we have to be okay with it. Like, just because that's how something is, I don't think that means that it's right. Um, and I, I think... I don't. Uh, I guess the closest I could think of is is like, you know, nerfing a character to some extent where it's like if you buy a game and you, you main a character and you get very good at this character. Um, other examples where that character has been nerfed or changed so drastically that now you went from being a pro or almost pro or whatever it is to not having any fun or enjoyment with the game. Um, I, I do think there will come a point and I, and I don't know if it's already happened or not, but like where this living game takes, gets rid of a, a feature that uh, was advertised and was maybe used as a purchasing decision. And there are consumer and then potentially legal repercussions about what is this product that you sold and advertised to us? And then what do I have still available to me right now? And I think it's going to be interesting to watch in games over the next probably just couple of years. It's interesting. I I, I just don't see it as such a negative thing that would cause, I I think that that scenario that you're describing happens every single week across a wide variety of video games. Almost almost every game out there that is competitive certainly has weekly or monthly or periodic changes to a balance that you invested a whole lot of time into getting that awesome sword. Well, the sword was too awesome. We yeah. nerfed it. I mean, it happens all the time over and over and over and I don't, I mean, people complain on message forums for games all the time about that stuff. You ruined my favorite character. You ruined my favorite weapon, whatever it is. And I sympathize with that sentiment, but ultimately that's the, that's the nature of these things. Like for the good of the overall experience for, for a wide community, these things that are living that want to, you know, maintain large communities sort of have to change. And I don't know. I, I don't see it as such a negative, I guess. I feel like the the main issue is if you're going to design a game with the intent of making it, uh, you know, a games as service or, or something similar where, you know, you want people to continuously come back to that. You have to look at the the best games in, in that genre or in that category and see what they're doing. And most of them, like the competitive games, there's an open dialogue between developer and player. And I feel like in this case, the, the, the dialogue about like there should have been something like we, we hear you about your, your frustrations with the post game siege mode and we hear you about your frustrations and we're working on something, but it's, you know, it's too complex to just make it an easy fix, but we're working on it and then release something like this. This feels like just out of the blue, like, Hey, uh, so our game's not selling very well. Nobody seems to want to play it. So we're just, you know, going to try something crazy and see if it works. Uh, cause I, I do feel like that is one of the advantages, like an overwatch 
uh, a Destiny, uh, uh, The Division, lots of games like that have is that the developers or Fortnite does a great job is like they're in the subreddits of those games and saying like, look, we hear you and here's what we're working on. And in this case, the game came out, people were like, I don't like this. And the developers were nowhere to be found really. Hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. We live in a world now where even like pre-release, it, it's a conversation, right? And a lot of it, it's balancing that line of here's my vision, here's the game we are making versus we want your feedback or uh, we respect your feedback. Even if we don't implement every little every little yeah. piece of it, we're listening. I just watched an episode of The Crown uh, that was about feedback and taking and listening. That part to where uh, the Queen of England makes that sweet match <laughs> three game and – yeah, I remember that one. I, I mean, no, even it, it, even Dice with it's, it's a different episode. Even <laughs> Dice with Battlefront, they kind of like you know people were were mad about what was happening, and the developers were there saying like, "I hear you, we're 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 thinking about it." You know, maybe yeah. they you know were kind of hamstrung by what a- EA was doing or wh- whatever, but like there needed to be more of a dialogue to at least acknowledge people's complaints and say like, we hear you at the very least. And I don't feel like, I feel like this decision was not made as a, we hear you. It was made as a, we're not making any more money. So we're probably going to like do a sale in summer. And so we want people that play this game to not know what it was like at lunch. So that (laughs) when I talk to somebody about playing the game and I say, Oh, it was pretty fun, but this part and this part were kind of bad. They don't even know what I'm talking about. And I look stupid. I think, (laughs) I mean, that's a, Okay, uh, th- th- I think that's a, you're assigning some nefarious intentions, and perhaps those are valid. But I, I think th- I think this is <laughs> this is really a story more about the ongoing backlash regarding loot boxes in general, and I think they are trying to recapture some goodwill. Uh, maybe too late, maybe too little, too late. But I think that this is, to me, the the narrative here is really more about across a lot of games, how we're seeing loot boxes. uh, There's, you know, the walking back of loot boxes in general, and maybe we'll see less, fewer loot games with loot boxes moving forward because people didn't like them and they were yanked out of a few games now. So I don't know. Do you think think peak loot box? Have we peaked? Maybe. I mean, when we, how many weeks have we talked about legislation from Hawaii and people (laughs) freaking out? I mean, I think that stuff does have an effect and, and these, and these games where, you know, they had these robust loot box strategies when they launched and now they're going, nah, no, we won't. We're, they're, that's not yeah. in the game anymore. I, don't know. I feel like there was just, there was too much in, in a short period of time of developers saying like, well, what if we just kind of like make it so the loot boxes are enticing because in in a lot of the cases where people complain, it's that they their progress feels hindered and loot boxes feel like the answer. Right. Like I look, Overwatch loot boxes are great, and I could play it and never have a you know spent a dime and never feel like I'm hindered in any way. But in in a game like Battlefront, in a game like uh, Shadow of War, it almost feels like they they designed it in such a way that like okay I look at the steep hill and then I look at this less steep hill and that less steep hill involves loot boxes right um, so I, I I don't think we're done with loot boxes I think that a couple of developers got caught doing something that they they shouldn't have been doing or they shouldn't have tried and and hopefully everybody learned from that well let's uh 
seriously an, a, an ongoing discussion that I'm sure we'll have uh, many more times over the course of the year as, as these kinds of things take shape. Um, my story of the week, well, really my story of the week is the fact that Divinity Original Sin 2 is coming to consoles. Uh, it's not surprising. It was the PC version had a very console, uh, you play with a controller option and really Divinity Original Sin 2 is just perfect as a couch co-op game. It's going to support a two-player split screen on PlayStation 4 and Xbox One. Comes out in August, four-player co-op online. It's just it's it's just a wonderful, one of the best games, one of the best role-playing games ever, I think. It's just a fantastic game. Coming to consoles as it should have, and I'm so happy to hear that. Uh, it's coming in August, but there's not really much to talk about. It's my favorite story of the week. I'm clearly the biggest fan of that game here. So let's talk about something a little more interesting, which is Steam Machines. Remember Steam Machines, you guys? Remember how well, how many years we were all wanting the PC market to be like a console, and we thought, man, Valve could be the guys to do it. If you made a Steam box, if you made some sort of buy it at a store, it will play a bunch of PC games and works like a console and you just boot into Steam, man, that would just, that's just, uh, it's a million dollar idea. That's, uh, everybody wants it to be amazing. It could transform the PC market. Guess what? That, we got that. We got Steam machines for a, a while. They have just been removed from Steam. All listings of being able to purchase them have been removed uh, that's not true. There are still a couple there, but for the most part, they've been removed. And I think it really is a indicator that Steam Machines didn't work. And I thought that would be an interesting discussion to have with you guys. Uh, Anthony, why yes. why didn't it work? Because uh, the ones that deliver a similar experience to a PC are still pretty dang expensive. <laughs> I think I think that's kind of like... At some point, you you look at it and you go, it's kind of like, you know, uh, an Xbox One X. You're going to have a lot of people looking at an Xbox One X and saying like, oh, man, this seems cool. This is upgraded hardware. But then they they can have a moment where they say, well, if I just like, you know, spend an extra, you know, $200 or whatever, you know, depending on like sales and stuff, not now with the way certain hardware is, Bitcoins, um, you know, like you can you can just get a good PC and you don't need a Steam machine and and PC gaming on your TV or or you know through um, Steam Link you can you can just play on your TV. So it's I don't know I, I I just feel like they they thought about it and then went oh man this is too expensive. Yeah, for years Christian the the idea was that consoles clicked with people because they're simple. You buy it everything that has that logo on it works. PCs are hard. You don't know. You got conflicts. You got settings. You got potential incompatibilities. You got all kinds of hoops to jump through and potential problems. It's not simple. And if there was only a way to simplify that process, it would expand the PC market. But uh, it looks like consumers roundly rejected this idea. So what, what do you make of it? Yeah, I don't think Steam Machine simplified things. I, I've spent a decent amount of time toying with one. I do not own one, but uh, you just go to friends. other people's house and toy with their stuff. Yeah. OPP, other people's Steam Machines, I think is what that stands <laughs> for. Yeah. Um, 
it, it didn't simplify it. And I think part of the problem is the, the beast that Steam has become. I own a Steam Link, which I, I hate. Um, <laughs> I don't know why it doesn't work well for me. I'm, my PC is wired. My Steam, Steam Link is wired. My internet is speedy. Um, but even like that, it, it's hard where it's like, it will launch you into big picture mode, but some PC games will still require a mouse and keyboard to like get in to click like accept or something like that. Or it's like just weird things that don't quite match up and it's not a seamless process because the games aren't made for a Steam link or Steam machine. I'm sitting only holding an Xbox One controller sitting on my couch. So even though the little things like, uh, font size resolution it's not the same on a when you're making it for a console that stuff is and there's still some bad ui in console games but it's thought about in a way that in pc games there were times i'd have to get up and walk close to the tv just to be able to read the menu or i had to i for my steam link i bought a little track handheld trackpad mouse keyboard combo thing to navigate through some of those menus my friend who had the steam machine got a lap board uh like wireless um, Bluetooth mouse and keyboard thing for that. And, it, and so and it's not super obvious what games support full controller support or not on Steam. I know they have the little icon, but a lot of the games have half a controller. And so it's not the thing yet where you can just sit down, play it, buy a game, play it, and know that it runs um, as smoothly as it would on your console. And I think that's where we got is this idea of, what people really wanted is just some of these really great PC exclusive games on console, right? Like some of these awesome indies and to have that marketplace expanding and the idea of owning a air quote PC that only plays games and plays them simply. It's like, yeah, that's what I want. And then you get it and you're like, well, wait, why well, did I want this? The thing that they did wrong was that they built it on Linux. And that meant that Developers had to port their games to Linux in order to support yeah. Steam machines. So it wasn't even the promise of a PC that could play everything on Steam. It can't. It can't play everything on Steam. It has to be made specifically for the Steam OS, which is a Linux-based OS. It was the stupidest thing they could have done. But you and could sideload Windows 10, Jeff. You could put Windows 10 on it. No, that was later. They were built, they, they, the second wave of Steam machines were the dual boot, boot to Windows or boot to Steam OS. And by that point, you're just like, what even, what's the point? The whole idea was that I turn it on and it boots to Steam and like, it's this console PC experience. And, well, we can, you can boot into Windows and now you have a regular PC. It's like, well then, what's the, why, why am I wasting my time with this then? It was the most boneheaded, stubborn thing for Valve to do, which was we're not going to support Microsoft, we're not going to support Windows, we're going to support Linux, and that meant that all the developers, you couldn't just come out with a game for PC and have it work on a Steam machine. It had to be ported to Linux, and so there was this subset of games that actually worked, and it was so botched. Uh, I still think that the concept of a dedicated gaming PC that boots into a Steam-like OS it is a interesting idea that could work. They just so botched the idea and the, the execution. Uh, it, it's sad. Yeah, I don't know if that I I don't know what that version of the idea is because I feel like okay, so Steam makes a console, right? And it, it runs whatever OS it well, runs. Steam didn't make. I mean, Valve didn't no, make no, any no, of them. I'm trying to pitch this. What oh. is this version of this? So like, then it's just a console because the game it doesn't have the 
the fun or joy of the PC things where part of it is tinkering and r- knowing what settings you can run it on. If you have this one size fits all machine, you can only run your game on a certain setting. I guess PC games typically give you more options so you could turn off shadows to get higher frame rate or whatever, you know, fiddling around in graphics options or whatever. But I, I don't know how appealing the idea is of a locked set top box that hooks into a PC store except for PC games are often cheaper and all of the indies. It doesn't yeah, have to wait more for certification and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I, that's, that's the, I think that's the entire enticement is, is there's a huge library of these PC games that you would never get even in a, you know, Xbox live arcade or whatever they are calling those sure. things now, you know, I feel like the people that are interested in that already are PC gamers though. Like, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of like you're you're basically like saying, "Hey, you person that is familiar with Steam and Steam sales, and probably only already owns a PC. You want something that's like a console and a PC?" And like, no, I don't. I'm good. (laughs) Well, the the real problem is that between everybody talking about this idea and the actual uh, unveiling of the Steam machines, which what they happened in what year was that? I think I have it listed. 2013. Yeah, they were like for sale much later. I so like. you know, we were talking about this idea in like 2006. You know what I mean? <laughs> and and by by 2013, yeah. when they were unveiling these things, consoles were PCs. <laughs> you know, by that point, consoles they were PCs. So yeah, the, effectively, the difference. I mean, and everything that came out was basically a multi-platform. Was like you know, Xbox, PlayStation, and PC. It's like, well, it doesn't it doesn't matter at this point. Anyway. Pour one out for the steam machines. Uh, an idea that uh, really just never had a chance. <laughs> Sadly. Uh, all right, guys. Uh, we got some games to talk about, so let's get to that. But first, I'm going to thank our sponsor, uh, Brooklinen. Brooklinen, it's my sheets. These are my, it's my sheets. This is uh, my bedding. I, I sleep soundly on Brooklinen sheets. Uh, every night, my wife and I do, and I gotta tell you, it is, uh, wonderfully comfortable. Um, these are, these are luxurious sheets. C- Christian, you have these as well, right? Brooklyn and sheets? Yep, they are on my bed right now. I am not in my bed right now. I am, uh, in my office doing a podcast, but I know my wife is in my bed right now on our Brooklyn and sheets soundly asleep. <laughs> yeah. They, uh, they will make you soundly sleep. Uh, I love the comfort of, I was just traveling. I was in PAX. Uh, I was in Boston this week for PAX and, uh, man, coming back home to my bed is so nice. <laughs> I love coming home to my bed because I curl up in my Brooklyn and sheets. These are it's just beautiful, high quality. They feel good and they're not the crazy markup you would get uh from bedding when you buy it from a from a big department store or something most bedding is marked up as much as 300 percent but uh brooklyn and cuts out the middleman they're all online and they'll give you that high quality luxurious bedding but they do it at a much more affordable price. Uh, Brooklyn and sheets have been named the winner of best online bedding category by good housekeeping. Plus they got lots of colors and patterns. Uh, my wife uh, picked ours because she has all the taste and I am the beneficiary of my wife's good taste. And uh, she picked out uh, this really lovely sort of gray and white stripe thing that I really enjoy. Looks cool. You can mix and match all of uh, your components of your bedding to complement any decor 
It's luxury bedding underpriced. You got to try these sheets if if you like sleep as much as I like sleep. And I I'm guessing there's three dads here. We all prioritize sleep much more than we used to. We took it for granted for too many years. Brooklinen sheets. Uh, I love them. Um, we're going to give you $20 off and free shipping. That's pretty cool. When you use promo code DLC at brooklinen.com, and Brooklinen is so confident that you're going to love their sheets, that they offer a risk-free 60-night satisfaction guarantee and a lifetime warranty on all of their sheets and comforters. That's pretty awesome. 60-night satisfaction guarantee, risk-free, and a lifetime warranty. That's pretty awesome. Uh, the only way to get the $20 off and free shipping is to use promo code DLC at brooklinen.com. This is an exclusive offer just for our listeners. That's B-R-O-O-K-L-I-N-E-N.com. Promo code DLC. Brooklinen. These are the best sheets ever. Time to talk about the games we have been playing. Guys, I know both of you have been playing lots more of Far Cry 5, and uh, I saw on the Twitters that there was a little bit of a disagreement, so I'm excited to get my popcorn and, and listen to this one because I'm usually the guy at the center of the disagreement. Uh, but right now... <laughs> yes, but I, I'm here to disagree with Christian. Oh, I love it. I love it. Um, so Far Cry 5, let's start... How should we start? Let's start with uh, with you, Anthony, and tell me your yes. experience with Far Cry. You have finished the game, correct? I finished the game 100% uh, complete. Wow. Um, there's nothing else to do. Wow, your um, baby does sleep. My baby does <laughs> sleep. I mean, I also have a weird schedule. It's, you know, I, I'm an odd person. Anyway, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, I really enjoyed it. I think that there are quite a few things that... Uh, bothered me about it um i think that there are a few like ways that they approach certain features here or there that um kind of like well why did they do that they could have just done this or um one one of the biggest things i think that could be could be greatly improved and could have made the game a lot more fun is letting um, progress carry over between co-op teammates Mm. Uh, as it is now if you go into somebody's world you get like the basic perks and stuff that you earn money wise, but you, you completing those missions, it it doesn't count in your world. And I understand Uh. why, why you do that, but that's like, if you wanted to play through the whole campaign with a friend and set aside time, yes, that works. But if, for example, Christian was playing and I wanted to jump into his game and he wanted to do a couple missions that I hadn't done when I jump out of his game, I then also have to do those missions. That is um, unacceptable. That's unacceptable. It's odd because other Ubisoft games have it. Like Wildlands had cross. Um, yeah. Well, uh, but other Far Cry games have the same uh, the right. same problem where it's just like it doesn't it doesn't carry over. It's yeah. I, I'm not a fan of that. But I just I don't know. Far Cry has a has a particular brand of chaos and personality to it that I just. Um, I've missed it, you know, at Far Cry 3 to Far Cry 4, it was kind of like, okay, Far Cry 4 is a better version of Far Cry 3, but it's a lot of the same stuff. But now that there's been a lot of time in between uh, those more modern games, we're not going to talk about Primal. Um, <laughs> I, I, I just, you know, it was it was fun to, to take an airplane and 
cause some chaos or, uh, you know, just like go on an outpost and see what kind of crazy, uh, you know, shenanigans I could get into. Uh, and I think, I think the game is, is really, uh, uh, inventive in how it approaches uh, the story missions in that you you're dropped into the entire map and you are given freedom to do whatever you want. And no mission is a, is a requirement outside of like the core story missions for like the main uh, kind of cult uh, figureheads. So you can really do, do whatever you want and, and it, it will progress the story in its own way. And I, I don't know, I just really enjoyed that approach. And I think that, uh, the the like voice acting and the writing is actually pretty good. Um, I don't know. Interacting with a lot of the characters was better than you see in your average game. And, yeah. and, and I, I liked it. Yeah, I, I know Christian. A lot of what I've said, Christian disagrees with. So we'll, we can go. Yeah, let's what, go. Uh, what was your playtime to 100%? I'm curious. How big is the uh, map and how long did it take you to beat it? <laughs> <laughs> no joke. I, I streamed most of my playthrough and no joke with every about 10 minutes, somebody was like, can I see the map? Can I see the map? Can I see the map? And I was like, okay, I, I get it. Uh, you know, granted, it is a fantastic map. The, the way they do yes. the map in that game is so satisfying. Like to have it actually be 3D modeled and oh, so satisfying. Yeah, it's a great. I think it's a great map. I think the um, uh, the the approach to uh, fast travel is cool. There, there's a perk where you can just airdrop. So like, even yeah. the fast travel of like, okay, well, I want to get here, but the closest point is only here. You can airdrop and then just wingsuit over. I, I don't know. There's lots of cool, neat things. Let's go, Christian. Let's do it. Oh, no, I'm curious how 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 long did it take? Oh, you, you really wanted to know? I'm about uh, 17 hours in, and I. I almost pretty much a hundred percent of Jacob and I'm, you know, maybe a third of the way through faith. Uh, I would say, I, I would say probably I beat it over like, uh, I would say like maybe 50 hours. Okay. That, that's, I was just curious. Like, yeah, when you said you're a hundred percent in it, I was like, Oh yeah, that's a decent amount of time. So I really enjoy what I would consider the basic gameplay loop of Far Cry. And I think Far Cry 5 does that really well. I've talked about some of the fun shenanigans I've had where, you know, shooting down a helicopter with a bow and arrow and then that person crashing and killing all the other enemies I needed to kill for a mission or a checkpoint, um, killing a moose with a boat or um, there's been a lot of really fun moments. What I think killing a moose with a boat or is called going full Canadian. <laughs> um so I've thought about a few things to, to frame this discussion. So one, uh, Jeff, to your point last week that it is a B movie or knows it's B, a B movie and leans into it. Um, I, my exhibits A and B would be toward it not being that would be things like Blood Dragon and what it looks like the well, DLC. That's a- that's a C movie. <laughs> I would say that's a B movie. Like that's them going full camp. And it looks like the the moon or the Mars DLC for this one is going to lean that way as well. Or that's them leaning into that, right? Right. And then the this game, Far Cry 5, I think my problem with it from a narrative standpoint is that the main story missions or the, the siblings and the father and those cutscenes are serious. And I think... Ubisoft wanted to have weight behind them. And I think they're trying to tell an interesting story. The characters in the world, however, are all calling them B movie is, is a disservice to B movies. They are, I would say 
you know, four out of five times, just atrocious, just bad characters with bad jokes and like, oh, my ex-husband who, you know, I still have sex with from time to time because his dick is huge. And you're just like, what? No. Yeah. What? And we're, now go, we're now this, go, we're now clean go tag, clean tag, Christian, clean tag. His, his, no, my son, whose name is Dick, uh, is huge. Richard, right. He's a large gotcha. kid boy. Yeah. I yes. understand. Um, and it's, it, it's like all, it's that stuff. And then like the, the, the buddy that has the rocket launcher is just like, such a bad caricature. So you're interact, and it, it's one thing if that if the narrative story beat supported that world, but you're running around the world with these people that are dropping expletives every five seconds, and just honestly, I, you want to mute them. I I wanted to mute them or travel with a, an animal companion so I didn't have to listen to them. And then- I would I would highly recommend traveling with an animal <laughs> companion. It's way more fun, and they're awesome. And then you snap into these story. Oh, oh, hold moments. on, let's let's back up. So you're arguing that it's serious, and then you just said animal companion. Can you no no can no? You tell me what the animal companions? Can you like take a a bear named Cheeseburger with you? That seems super serious. Uh, it's not that is a problem. I'm saying the plot, the narrative of when Father Jacob, Faith, or whatever that other person, when they're talking to you, that they try to take seriously. Then everything in world is. F yeah, Far Cry. Like, blow it up, smash it up, do whatever you want. We're Far Cry. Look at this funny. I'm running for Senate. <laughs> but uh, thanks to lame bomber, I can't do what I want, which is just shoot guns into people. And you're like, what are you What are you doing? The, the game doesn't have an identity, and it doesn't know what it wants to be. And it insults both sides of it by trying to have such different takes on on um on what this game is trying to be. So I, that I think is a huge problem with the game and when at my discussion with people online about it the number of people that told me they play it while listening to podcasts or other music um I I know if I was someone who spent time working on this game and did all the voice acting or writing for it that would make me sad. Um people are like, "Yeah, I like the gameplay, but woof if I want to listen to any of it." Um and I think that's a, it's a real conflict between the two. And then the gameplay, it's also the, the same thing. And Anthony, I'm not sure if I was clear on Twitter, but my problem, um, okay, let me get a, let me get a time mark going so I can tag this for people. Um, so for the, the next 90 seconds, uh, starting, I'm going to do some Far Cry story spoilers for the next 90 seconds. There are going to be some Far Cry. Wait, why do you only get 90 seconds and I don't get to respond though? What you do, but the, I don't know how much. How long is this going to be? I don't know. I I don't know what you're going to say. Uh, okay. So give us give us uh, give us five three minutes. Three minutes. Okay. okay. And then when you scrub back, I have I'll have a timer going, and at that three minute mark, I'll tell you if we need more time. So I'm going to do some Far Cry story spoilers for three minutes. I'm going to start it in three, two, start. In Jacob's missions, when he pops you and you get captured by his hunters and you wake up in these like indoctrination chambers and you have to get up, you're, there's a timer running and you have to kill all these guards and escape this like loony house that doesn't make sense or whatever. Uh, it's totally different than any other part of the game, like running through and needing to do headshots in like a 20 second time limit or whatever is so opposite of what far cry is that replaying those missions over and over and over again is so mind-numbingly boring and bad gameplay in my opinion and totally different from the rest of the game and then the last big one after you you kill the guy that he sets you up to kill you're running around the 
that area of the map with it on fire and wolves spawn from behind you. There's no rhyme or reason to what's happening. And then when you have to try to eventually then kill Jacob, it's just hiking up this mountain and that I knocked him down five times with a sniper rifle from afar and you can't kill him that way. But when you walk up to him, it's like one shot kills, but nowhere does it tell you that you can't kill him even though I'm hitting him and he goes down, then he just stands right back up again with an auto revive. There are things that are fundamentally different than any other part of the game without any rhyme or reason to them other than to, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. So we're a minute 25 in Anthony. That's those are my beefs. Well, I I mean with the Jacob, I think that the, the whole like indoctrination thing is that it's supposed to be mind numbing and boring. So that when you go through the last point, you're not actually supposed to realize at first that like, these guys aren't disappearing. They're just getting shot. And then you're uh, at the, at the end of each of those sequence, it's a faceless guy. And then the last time it's actually, so it's supposed to, I feel like that's the purpose of it. The, the Jacob thing, uh, you're supposed to, you know, knock him down because he's, you know, sniping you and you're supposed to use that as a, you know, a way to advance closer to him. There's, you know, it's just the way that they chose to do it. Anyway, I feel like that, it's a story mission thing. Like story missions are supposed to feel different than the, the sandbox open world element. And so, yeah, they feel different, but um, I, I don't know. I, I thought it was well executed and I really enjoyed the story missions and how they felt different from just like raiding an outpost. Like I appreciated that they didn't just take the open world emergent gameplay and package that as a story mission. They gave you different things to do. I just think when you have an open world game and then you put a timer on me for part of it and, and well, no way that, that's the whole point of that, that mission is that you're 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 going through it multiple times with this brain, with the brainwash <laughs> thing and you're like essentially supposed to feel you know mind-numbingly bored did you just criticize putting a time limit by putting a time limit <laughs> uh, we can't talk about that and our three minutes are up now also uh, uh, where I, where welcome I, back welcome back right where i agree with you christian is uh there were a couple of missions where uh like i uh, hijacked a truck or i was supposed to you know get a truck back for a guy or something getting that truck and i'm trucking along and it's like blast through the the things i'm like awesome cool and then i see uh, i'm like in this truck and i'm like rocking this cool thing and i see a silo just off the road and i'm like oh while I'm going, I might as well slam into that silo and get some extra sweet ass silo points. And I, uh, I, I get off the main road a little bit and just weave into the silo, and it's a uh, mission failed. And oh, man, that, sure. bu- yeah. that bugs me. I feel, You're yeah, a big are, sandbox I think game. Those are my my criticisms as well. Those are like, but I feel like those are small potatoes, personally. Yeah, but I I do think that in a sandbox game, however you choose to take down a thing is should be fair game and if you meander for i understand they want to create tension and and create these story beats inside specific missions but if i want to you know go off the beaten path or do something that they didn't predict i think that's the fun of these things is that emergent weirdness and uh i wish there was more understanding of that by the game itself but sure yeah, and I think there's a way to comp- to create compelling narrative story missions in a sandbox that doesn't take away from the skills and tools and fun you've had in that world. Um, and and I, I feel like Far Cry 3 and Far Cry 4 both did it better as examples in the franchise. Um, don't get me wrong, I've already plucked 17 hours into this game, and I'm going to keep playing it. Uh, I got close to you know, rage quitting and throwing it away during one of those things I talked about in that three-minute section, but... Um, sure. 
I have a lot of fun with the game. I do think if push came to shove, I've had to rank one ahead of the other. I think Wildlands is more fun than than Far Cry, but um, I'm I'm really enjoying oh, the game. But I understand Christian why the frustrations with it. Have you played any co-op? Uh, yes. Have you stood on the wing of an airplane and shot rocket launchers while the cheeseburger bear is attacking a an outpost? No. <laughs> okay. Get back to me when you do that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just, I just it, it's I don't know. It's uh, I feel like you're look you're looking at it from a different perspective and arguing that the story missions and the like main characters are serious uh I don't know. My uh, my counter argument would be that have you played any of the faith missions? Because mm-hmm. those those are not okay. I don't I don't feel like the game is going for a terribly serious tone. Oh, I think it is. I, I I really think it is. And again, as Exhibit A, it's go play Blood Dragon. Look at the the well, expansions for this. Sure, game. but there's I a, mean, go play Far Cry. Go play yeah. Far Cry Four when you're running through a, you know a marijuana farm and having hallucinations and going to Shangri La. Uh, yeah, I, I don't mean, think there's only. I don't think it has to be a binary choice between. Uh, no, Far Cry's force plot and handles of its characterizations and story and, and weaving between those two things is handled much better than Far Cry Five. I 100 percent agree, Anthony. What? That's no. My argument is that Far Cry has never been serious, and I don't feel like this. This game is trying to be. Finish the game and then tell me it's trying to be serious. It, the 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 idea that Blood Dragon, I mean, Blood Dragon is so far over the top. It doesn't necessarily mean that it has to only. That's the only example of something taking itself not seriously. I think you can be far less ridiculous and yeah. still not take yourself seriously. Yeah, but, I feel like the 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 main characters, the main villains, are supposed to be intense, and I think that that's just because that's like the new Far Cry DNA. Like with Voss and with Pagan Men. Ubisoft has established like we're going to go for characters that are kind of like they feel like real people, but they're still crazy. And the things that they're doing and the the encounters you have with them are not uh, true to life in any way, I guess, is is, it just nothing about the game felt felt like it was trying to uh, make a political statement or anything, really. No, know. and my problems that aren't about its politics are not making a political statement. Again, it's it's most of the the NPC characters um, cursing because you're in seventh grade and you can. Um, it's just tonally so off. It's yeah. Uh, I'm glad that you're having fun. I'm not saying that this is uh, the absolute opinion. This is my opinion sure. and how I feel about the game and the way these characters make me feel. Um, but in my opinion the handling and the tone of, of the characters and the side missions and uh, all of that dialogue. It's it, the game for me would be better without it. Well, I think we could go round and round on this and, I, and certainly people will make up their own minds, but I think it's interesting hearing these two, two opinions. I wish I had more to say about it. I, I, I have been playing, I have not been playing this. I've been playing a game that I'm not supposed to talk about, but it rhymes with I'd love more and uh, I can't wait to talk about that with you guys next week. But in the meantime, what I would like to talk about is another argument. I want to have an argument with Christian where I agree with you, but I'm still arguing with you. Uh, and that is I went to PAX East this week. No, you didn't. That's not, that's not the argument. Oh, okay. uh, the the um, 
I was hosting the Here's the Storm panel and afterwards uh, hung out with a bunch of casters for that uh, game that, that are uh, Twitch streamers and personalities. And uh, just we were just talking socially and um, we got to talking about games that weren't Heroes of the Storm and all of them, I was like four or five of them in this circle that I was, I was eating dinner in and we were all hanging out. All of them were like, have you played Sea of Thieves? I was like, yeah, I didn't really like it. Oh my God. I love that game. You love that. I love that game. Oh, I love that game. It's so much fun. And I couldn't believe it because you and I both have agreed that the game wasn't to our taste and really didn't have enough to do and wasn't fun. And yes, this is in the context of people who are streaming. And yes, it is in the context of people who are playing almost exclusively with friends, uh, in a, in a, in a co-op environment. But the stories that I heard in the course of that dinner conversation of the antics and craziness that went on playing Sea of Thieves. And yeah, I think both of us would retort that it is creating just a scenario where you make your own fun. And they were all very uh, acknowledging of that point of, yeah, yeah, we create our own fun, but in a very specific way that I think is to the game's credit. And that is, you know, I was hearing these stories of, you know, uh, <laughs> one of the guys was like uh, MF Pally time. If you guys know the streamer, uh, he was telling me about this, uh, event that he and his, his buddy were, they were creating the pee poop where they were the, uh, patrolling pirates on patrol or something. I don't know, but very funny. And they would pretend they would come up to other people and say, I have to pull you over. I have to pull you over. We have to, uh, inspect your hold and see if you're carrying any snakes uh, we're not allowed, you're not allowed to carry any sticks. And then people would like play along and they would get into these long, crazy improvised scenarios where they'd go on and, and, uh, you know, inspect people's holds and, and pretend to be the, the cops of the, of the sea and these wild situations. And they talked to, to me about participating in a raid and how it cost, it took hours and hours and hours. And there were all these people and they kept sinking these ships and people would come back and they'd sink them over and over. The point being, I think we've given this game a little short shrift perhaps because I came away from that feeling like uh, maybe I missed the boat because <laughs> it's a pirate game. Um, and I wonder what you think uh, hearing – I you obviously didn't hear those specific stories like I did. But um, I don't think it's as easy to put these kinds of games into a specific box of – like we have of there's no progression, there's no content, there's not enough to do. When I think there is a whole group of people that are used to the Minecraftization of the world where we just are hanging out in an interesting place together, making our own stories, making our own fun. Yeah, I mean, I, I like sitting around a campfire and telling stories. Um, I like telling stories to my daughters. I've had fun in VR chat. Um, I like hanging out and talking with you both and hanging out and talking to my friends and doing silly, stupid things with my friends 100%. And I, I am super happy that Sea of Thieves is connecting for people and allowing people to have a lot of fun. Um, I, I personally couldn't be more done with the game. Okay. Well, f fair enough. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm done with the game too. I'm not going to go back and play it. Although these is like, you got to play with us. It's so much fun. And I get it, right? I get, uh, I get that fun of hanging out with your friends and doing, all doing a thing. Like, 
I've had lots of fun. You know, I'm mindlessly level up in Diablo uh, with my friends where basically what we're doing on screen almost takes no, no attention. It's just a, a thing that, 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 you know, allows us to hang out together and allows us to just share time. I get that, but I think there's a level more to this that I don't think we acknowledged fairly on the episode that we talked most about it, which is that the game does do more than just provide you a campfire. It does create, I think, a context where those stories are more likely to happen than not. It isn't just a glorified chat room. I, I, I don't know, and, I, and I'm maybe you're not willing why, to acknowledge. Why, how so? Why, why do you think that? What does it What does it provide that makes it more than just a campfire and telling a story? Everybody's a pirate. Okay, uh, now go. Well, I think the interactions that those pirates are able to have with one another. Uh, it, it isn't. It isn't. I found the interactions that you have with the world to be lacking, and I yeah. stand by that. I think that is a fair criticism and and one that hopefully they'll work on and add more to the game over time. But I think the interactions among players, uh, the game does create dynamics that are not just chat room dynamics that are, you know, uh, the way ships interact with one another, the way cannonballs interact with one another, the way your character is able to interact with mine, the way the operation of a ship, relies on multiple people doing things the way navigation requires it. I think there are these systems that are very intentionally there to engender storytelling. Um, yeah, I don't agree. Um, there are systems in place that require cooperation for things to go smoothly. Um, but I think that those are even handled better by so many other games. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, <laughs> I feel like the, the interesting thing too about the story that you told only using the one example that you've relayed to me. So I don't know how representative it is of the and whole. It's, it's hard because we're, you're hearing it by proxy, which is never right. great. Yeah. But it's like the story you told me is something that they created completely outside of the game. It wasn't like well, games said you could be police and you could do this uh, or pee pee poo poo is a thing that you could find. They created. I can tell you some fun stories about playing Sea of Thieves. Sure, yeah. If you're on Team Sea of Thieves, let's hear it because I, I'm sure some listeners like it. Uh, and just because I don't doesn't mean it's a. Oh, I again, game. I'm agreeing with you and disagreeing with you. I, I'm presenting this alternate side, but I, I'm on Team Spicer on this one. I, I don't think the game is sure. very fun. But go, go ahead, Anthony. I I kind of I like the game. I you know uh, the other stuff came out, so it kind of pulled me away from it. Uh, but I, yeah, I, I had fun with it. Uh, I played almost exclusively with friends. I think that there, there is a lot of make your own fun with it, but I think that you can still do it within that world. Um, there are just like random things that you can do that are really fun. Uh, and you can even kind of like combat the systems that they've created. Like for example, uh, a friend and I were going back to an outpost <laughs> And there was a galleon, which, uh, and so I got up into the crow's nest. I looked, I could see four people on the galleon. I was, we were thinking, oh man, they're just going to steal our stuff. So we looked at our, what we had collected and we looked at the two best items we had and both of us grabbed it. We kept the ship facing forward and then we jumped off the back 
and swam to the outpost. And then we turned stuff in. And as we were looking like out into the distance after turning stuff in, they were attacking our, our ship. So we kind of like ghost ride the whip, trick them into shooting us <laughs> and, and, you know, trick the griefers. I just think that there's a lot about the game that, yeah, is definitely determined by your how you come into it. So if you come into it just wanting to play by yourself, you might not have fun or if you're looking for a very specific thing. I I really compare it to uh, No Man's Sky and that's going to have a lot of like negative connotation. But I think that a lot of people went into No Man's Sky and said, this is giving me exactly what I expected. I'm enjoying it. And then I, you know, I'm, I'm done with it when I'm done with it. And other people are like, this is not what I expected. Um, and I think Sea of Thieves is very similar. I expected a kind of just open, uh, kind of make your own fun, be a pirate game and not like a, you know, a deep story or a deep like pirate customization RPG game. I just wanted to like get on a ship and play Flight, Flight of the Valkyries with my friend on my little like windy thing while he plays on his accordion and, you know, be silly, I guess. Yeah. It's, it's skateboarding, right? It's it's um, a thing no, you, you get do. Better at skateboarding. <laughs> you can get better at shooting I, yourself I from didn't. a cannon onto somebody else's ship. Can you? Yeah. How do you get better at it? Practice. Oh, so just like understanding the yeah, the you know, like physics and you know, like a you physics. know physics. <laughs> I don't, or like just like maneuvering the ship, you get better at like maneuvering the the sails to pick up the wind, or like knowing how you how to make sharper turns and stuff. I don't know, you know. I yeah, like the, it. Uh, My last question, and then I I hate being the guy that just craps on this game. Um, what was what was fun about taking those things and getting them to the to the thing? And maybe it's just like it's there's fun in the fun, but it's like so you took them to the outpost, okay? I mean, what's what's fun about any video game? You don't take anything home with you. Well, sometimes it's, you do. Uh, well, you, you uh, by taking it to the outpost, you then get to do this money. other mission that is fun, or you learn this new story thing that's fun, or your character uh, has meaningful progression or stat increase that then allows you to do X, Y, or Z, or um, the, the, your situation the next time you play the game is markedly different because you were able to successfully pull off this feat versus this game. If you got blowed up and you didn't get that loot back to the outpost, the next time you logged on the game, for all intents and purposes, I would argue it would be the exact same thing. I think that it's a shared goal, but that's right? a risk. It's just a shared goal, and and it is an excuse to engender the the story that you experience, but it is, we're all doing this thing and the, the thing isn't really what it's about. It's all of the stuff that happens along the way. It's all of the things that we do along the way. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess, I, I don't know. It's, it, I got a lot of people saying like, well, you know, what's the objective or like, what's the fun? And it's like, well, what are you taking home when you get a chicken dinner or a victory Royale in, in Fortnite or PUBG? Like you're just, you're playing the game and you like interacting with the system uh, and repeating what you're doing. And in this case, this is what sea of thieves offers. And I would argue that what it offers is a kind of just like fun, uh, pirate be silly experience. Uh, you know, it's not going to be for everybody. I. I guess 
my question to you or both of you, when you played it, did you just play it by yourself or you just on a sloop by yourself or did you play? No, I played with friends. I, I, and I, and I got into a pretty fun, ridiculous situation, uh, with, with, with some people at one t- point. And then another time I kind of played with some, some real boros, uh, real, real drabbies. Um, sure. and, and it, you could see the difference in that, in that situation. And I think playing with your buddies and creating ridiculous stuff, my, my criticism was uh, the world itself just wasn't as dynamic and interesting as I would have liked. It didn't – finding a new island didn't give me any kind of sense of thrill. There wasn't anything waiting for me there that was unexpected or interesting. And I needed – I kind of needed that. And I also yeah. didn't feel like any of the stuff that happens in it st- is strong enough to stand on its own. Like the shooting – isn't isn't particularly well done the navigation on the ship isn't particularly well done all of that stuff could have baked longer i think and had provided a a objectively fun moment like a a, a compartmentalized fun moment right that just the pure mechanics of doing one of those things could have been separate from anything else in the game could have been fun and it just uh it just sort of is a half measure. It's, it's, it's shooting good enough to be in the game, but it's not like, you know, the combating skeletons on an Island isn't as good as shooting in destiny or whatever. You know, it's not like, it's not the, it's no one part is, would hold up against other games that do that one thing. And the putting them all together is fine, but it could have been better. And I just kept seeing all the faults. I think to me, it feels uh, maybe, I don't think we've said this before. Uh, it feels like playing poker for no money. It's like, yeah, I can have fun with my friends playing poker for no money or like penny buy-ins or whatever. And like, Oh, I can't believe I, I out bluffed you, Anthony. Ha ha. What a funny event. But it's like, ultimately it feels like there aren't stakes. And I'm like, at some point it's like, let's play poker again. Penny buy-ins, I, I, no, no thanks. Or like fantasy sure. football for no money. Like the stakes aren't there that keep me invested. And that's just kind of what I'm looking for in a yeah. game. I think those well, stakes. It's a really interesting way of putting it, but I, to- I totally agree with Anthony that that's one of the reasons I'm not compelled to play PUBG. Like there, <laughs> but that, that's yeah. from a guy who like spends every single day trying to rank up in here's the storm. It's, I guess it's whatever your flavor of, yeah. of, <laughs> monotonous. I feel, I feel uh, like if there were there were too many stakes, then it would be you know uh, the problem that the division had early on with the dark the dark zone where you yeah were like well I'm going into the dark zone and there are just people that their fun is is killing other people and I just I can't progress. So if the stakes were that you actually got like really good stuff um, and it wasn't kind of like its own fun, there would be so many griefers online that would take that stuff from you and just ruin the experience for other people that they would be turned away. So the fact that like at the end of the day, if some, if you take a chest from somebody and then your ship crashes and it sinks, you're just kind of like, ah, that was actually fun. That was the fun. That was its own reward. You make, I mean, we've already talked about this way too long, but you, you make a really strong point there, which is that maybe this isn't a bug, it's a feature. This is the charm of it is how um, frivolous it all can be. Yeah, how yeah. how it do, it's not going to make you angry. It's just this big 
silly yeah. fun and me shooting myself out of a cannon doesn't mean I'm going to lose my stuff. It just means, yeah. oh, it's ridiculous. Yeah, because if you, if you were sailing around in a sloop and it was just you by yourself and then a four-man galleon came on you, you know, right in front of you and just destroyed your ship and stole like epic level loot or whatever, and then took it from you. And like that gave them an advantage to then continuously grief you. Yeah. You would be mad. But at the end of the day, they're taking their chest and they're getting like better sales. So you're like, well, right. I'm okay. Yeah. It, it just, yeah. I, I, I would also argue that like there, what's wrong in making a little fun and having that fun for 15 hours and then going, okay, I'm kind of done. And then, you're done. Yeah, nothing. All right. Christian uh, never left his no man's sky planet. <laughs> that's right. He had his he had his own way of playing. That's that's. Totally I'm waiting fine. for what's next. Oh God. That's what the no man's sky. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, I got it. I, got I hope that that's really cool. All right. Um, we have gone so long uh, on this. I really wanted to hear about a way out. Can you t- can you mention whether you liked a way out in like a minute and a half? I really uh, enjoyed it. I really like Joseph Ferris's uh, previous game, Brothers. And yeah, I think, so did uh, I. So good. Um, it, it's very gimmicky in in the way it's played, but I highly recommend if you have a friend that you typically play co op games with, I highly recommend playing an, a way out with them. You can even uh, share the game; they don't need to buy it. Just one of you can buy it. It's it does a lot of unique things you're never doing the same thing twice and it just plays with like the concept of where you can see each other's screens uh in some really really clever ways uh it's it's great christian you and i really should play through this it is just such big things it. that got in the way yeah got in the way out <laughs> uh but uh yeah i really would love to play it through it with you i think it'd be fun yeah all right, let's move on. Uh, I do want to thank our second sponsor, Squarespace. Oh, my God, Squarespace. You guys, make it. Make it yourself with Squarespace. Make what? I'm glad you asked. Websites, online presence, where Squarespace. Everybody needs it. Everybody needs, at a certain point, you're going to need a website for something, whether it is a, an assignment, a school assignment, whether it is a work-related thing, whether it is a portfolio, just a blog, fun stuff, whatever you need. E-commerce, Squarespace has your back. They have the best tools, the easiest, simplest tools for you to make it yourself. Easily create a website by yourself. You don't have to hire somebody to do it, and they'll come out looking beautiful. They'll come out looking great because they are started with these these great templates, but then you can just make it yourself. You can move things around visually. You don't have to know how to code in order to to make a great website. You can just drag and drop stuff. It's so great. The ability to customize look and feel, settings, projects, all with just a few clicks. It's the way to do it. It's the way to do it. It's why I've used it before. JeffCanada.com is built on Squarespace. It's why uh, I think so many people use Squarespace because it's simple and it ends up looking great and operating well. They've got built-in search engine optimization. They've got analytics to help you grow. So this isn't just a toy. Even though it feels as simple as one, perhaps, it feels uh, easy to use and anybody can use it. It really is built for professionals too. It's built, you can plug in e-commerce, you can plug in marketplace so easy. They've got free and secure hosting and there's nothing you have to ever patch or upgrade. It's all handled for you. 24-7 award-winning customer support for if you run into any problems at all. Squarespace is the place. You got to go check out 
squarespace.com slash Jeff sent me. This is new. This is new. There's a new URL. Squarespace.com slash Jeff sent me. And the promo code is Jeff sent me. That will get you 10% off your first purchase. But it's really important that you go to squarespace.com slash Jeff sent me. That's how they know that you're listening to our show and it really helps. So check it out. See how easy it is to make something yourself online. Squarespace.com slash Jeff sent me and the promo code Jeff sent me. When you check out all in word, no spaces, get you 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Just wanted to quickly mention the fact, because it's been a couple of weeks now, uh, I want to quickly mention the fact that I've been playing Skyrim VR for PC, and faithful listeners of the show will remember that I played Skyrim VR when it was originally announced and was a timed exclusive for PlayStation VR. And I came away very impressed with how they managed to retrofit a lot of the movement and functionality of the UI into those move controllers. And uh, I actually thought that it was very playable in, in that state. But uh, if you remember, I think Christian, you remember, uh, I said it looked like a butt, like a, like a person's butt, like the game looked like a butt. <laughs> Remember when I said I said it looked like a butt? Well, I'm so glad to say the PC version looks much, much better. I mean, this is still very much an old game, but uh, the PC version, especially on the highest settings, looks real good, real good, and it's so playable. If I had, like, a spare hundred It's so out, playable, box quote. <laughs> yeah. No, it's... I mean, it's so it, it is... It com- I mean, I... I we just wanted to check it out, and I ended up spending like two hours in there uh, doing cool stuff uh, because it is just so easy to do everything, and you feel like you're in that world, this gigantic, sprawling, epic role-playing world, and everything is so well done, and especially now when you've got uh, you know analog sticks on the Oculus touch controllers or you've got the those touchpad things. It makes it so easy. I turned all of the all of the uh, comfort assist off and uh, did smooth movement and took off the, the um, bounding on the, on the side peripheral of your vision that it does. It just, it, you really feel like you're in this world and it's amazing. And it's so fun. I decided to go pure mage because uh, casting in VR is so much more fun than melee. I mean, melee is admittedly a little silly in VR when you're just, you know, swinging your arms and whacking stuff. So I decided to stay away from that. I used a bow and arrow a little bit, but I've just been doing being a pure caster. And uh it's so fun to just spray fire at people and shoot your spells and you know put your arms out and be a mage. It's great. And it, it, it actually looks really good and the world works really well. And then I spent like a full day trying to get mods to work because <laughs> it doesn't officially support mods, but there's all these articles on uploadvr.com and other places telling you how to get mods working. I could not get them to work, but I, I tried to do all the visual upgrade mods. Um, and I guess there's a program called Vortex that supports uh, Skyrim VR now. So it's just supposed to be plug and play. I couldn't get any of the mods to actually do anything in the game. It said they were all enabled and deployed on the game. I don't know. I need to spend more time with it, but um, I'm, encouraged that I can make the game look even better with the cool mods. But uh, I just wanted to say briefly that um, Skyrim VR for PC is 
it's the dream. It's the dream. I mean, yes, the game is still old. Yes, it does doesn't look like you know Uncharted or whatever the beautiful game du jour is right now. But uh, it, it it's very. It doesn't look like a butt like it does on PlayStation VR, and it really delivers on that that idea of being inside a giant virtual world, talking to people moving around, interacting with stuff, picking up anything you want. It's just so great. It's so great. So I highly recommend Skyrim VR for PC in particular on on Steam. All right. That's the VR section. <laughs> Let's move on. No, I want to... No I heard that soundtrack. I thought we were going to talk about the Vive Pro you bought. Yeah. No, I have not. I have, I'm letting down, I know, many people listening, but I, I just couldn't pull the trigger. Even I... Could not pull the trigger on an $800 upgrade to my Vive. Um, and I have to admit, Christian, I've been pretty much exclusively playing Oculus at this point. Uh, yeah. It's just for comfort. It's just for comfort. It really is. I'm curious what E3 brings for VR this year. Where it is, yeah. how it is, what Sony does with it, uh, if there are any other big announcements. I feel like it's kind of been quiet. I've been getting a lot of Oculus emails about... You know, sales they've had on a bunch of their great games that have been out, that have come out already. But I felt like yeah. around this time last year, we were hearing yeah. buzz about upcoming great games. And maybe I'm yeah. just a little away from the scene now. Well, was, it, was it last year that there was no Oculus booth? Yeah, no, that's correct. Yeah. And so it was yeah. like last year there was no Oculus booth. It seemed like we'll, we'll just make an assumption because of what a certain individual re- related to Oculus may have done. And now <laughs> this year, Facebook is. So, you know, yeah. well, they I had guess. a big presence at GDC last year, though, not this year. Uh, last year, they yeah. had a big presence. They showed like five new games that are all coming out and they were huge, you know, from other sons and um, lots of Mage's Tale and so, so many of these big, cool games that came out. Uh, they haven't done that. So I'm hope I hope you're right, Christian. I'm, I would love to see the next revision of the headset from them. And, and maybe it could be I mean, they do have that Oculus Go that they've been showing a lot. Uh, I think they mm-hmm. actually showed that at GDC as well. But. Um, none of the big mainline, you know, high end ones. So yeah, it feels oddly quiet from everybody except for Vive right now to me. I mean, I yeah. guess PlayStation had its price cut, which is kind of its big move. But yeah, uh, I'm curious. Yeah, well, I saw an article about um, the uh, Farpoint team is uh, gearing up for. They're saying they're going to redefine AAA VR. I'm. I have a lot of confidence in that Farpoint team. They did an amazing thing with that game. It looks so good on PlayStation VR and it, it was, yeah. I found it to be really fun. I, I love that game. Um, all right. I want to get to some quick questions. We haven't done them in a while and we do have codes for out of the park uh, 19. Um, so uh, this is courtesy of our friend, Rich Grisham. And uh, these are codes we're giving away. We have uh, several, so uh, you can still get a code. If you want your quick question on the show, Anybody that gets their quick question on the show is getting a uh, a code to Out of the Park Baseball uh, 19, I believe. And it is, uh, it's a baseball simulator, very highly regarded um, and uh, awesome, awesome game and awesome of them to provide so many codes for us. So you can send, well, let's, what am I doing? Let's, we, we need this first. Quick, 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 quick question. Quick, 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 quick question. Now we're in the quick question segment, guys. And uh, if you want your quick question on the show, send it to dlcfeedback at gmail.com or post it on our subreddit, which you can find at 5x5dlc.reddit.com. There's a sticky 
thread for quick questions uh, or dlcfeedback at gmail.com. All right, quick question. This one comes from Cosmo Ochez, who says, uh, can turn-based RPGs or SRPGs make a comeback? What would be required of them to bring people back into them? They used to be held in high regard, but now turn-based combat is used as a negative sometimes when describing a role-playing game. I'm sure it's mostly due to the slower pace of turn-based games, but some great games, like Battle Chasers Night War, get overlooked due to being a turn-based game. So what do you think about that, Anthony? Uh, Turn-based, do you think it is a second-class citizen? And if so, do you think it can make a comeback? Uh, I mean, I I don't necessarily feel like uh, there aren't, there are a few of them here or there, but yeah, I th- I feel like the reason that turn-based RPGs went to the wayside is that we found a better way to deliver that type of combat and let people be a little more active because it is it's interactive entertainment. So how dare you? How dare you? Yeah, how dare you? You know, it just I, I guess how dare you say it's better? How dare you? It yeah, I I, I love the a lot of the turn-based RPGs when the genre was huge, but I I just feel like we found a better way to deliver that type of idea and allowing people to move around while taking their turns is, is, you know, it's, it was the first thing. And then they said, well, what if I, you know, pick a, pick a move and then I can, uh, you know, time my button press to get a little more damage. And then it just kind of like went from there. I, I hear you. And I don't think you're necessarily wrong. Uh, but I do think that, you know, you look at Final Fantasy 15 or Nino Kuni 2 for, for that matter. Uh, I would take a turn-based combat system over the combat systems in either of those games. Maybe blasphemy to some people that love Final Fantasy or whatever. But, uh, sure. the, the older versions of those games would have had, uh, you know, menus and turns. And I would, I prefer that. I don't know. I persona, the persona five, is a notable uh, exception. I already mentioned in this episode, Divinity Original Sin 2 turn-based game, one of the great role-playing games of all time. Battle Chasers Night War is awesome. And I think there are lots of these games being made, especially in the indie space. And usually in general, if you say any genre is dying, look in the indie space because there'll be people making that genre specifically because it's dying in the mainstream. So I don't necessarily think that these games are completely gone, but... I do. I would like to see more of them, and I don't know what it would take to make a comeback. Do, Christian, do you have an idea of of this or feeling about it? Yeah, I'm not sure. I definitely haven't run the data on it. If they're dying, or we just also have real time uh, RPGs now. It's just like there's an addition, and maybe there are more of them. But I don't know if necessarily there are less um, turn based combat RPGs uh, than there were before in their heydays. I'm not sure. Maybe there are markedly less. I don't know. I feel like there's still a a good number of them that come out year to year. And many of them are highly regarded. And I think the next one is going to be Pokemon on switch. Like at the end of the day, it's a turn-based RPG. That's one of the biggest franchises of all time. That is huge every time, every iteration. So I don't think they're going anywhere. I do think that you're seeing developers that have a history of making them experimenting with real time and seeing if that's what they want to do. And I, I, I think part of that might be chasing trends. And I think part of it might be developers wanting to do something different creatively. You've done something for so long and you want to do something else that excites you and you try a, a different combat approach. But I have a feeling that a good turn-based RPG is going to be around um, for, for as long as I'm playing games. You make a great point about 
Pokemon for sure. <laughs> uh, speaking of chasing trends, here's a quick question from Jim. He says, with the Fortnite and PUBG craze, is there a franchise you would love to see get a battle royale mode? Not in a realistic sense, but in a, a man can dream sense. Anthony, do you have a, a genre or a, a, a franchise? Twisted metal. Twisted metal battle royale. Yeah, that would be actually really cool. A car combat battle royale game. Somebody's got to be working on that right now. PZ has it. Um, yeah, well, H1Z1 has oh, H1Z1, like yes, auto royale mode, but yeah. I'm talking about like you land uh, or you appear, I guess, you, you know, like try not to use Fortnite and PUBG, but you appear in a car. Everybody has the same basic car with like maybe – uh, no options. And then you're kind of foraging for stuff. And so you get rockets, you get shields, you get, you know, Crazy. this or that, you get a turbo, you it's get a great idea. By the end, by the end of the game, you're, you know, you're having twisted metal esque looking cars fight each other uh, in a, in a small space. I don't know. I think it'd be cool. Christian, you have an, a good answer for this one. I don't. I have some IPs that I think could be fun or support it and work within the the myth of the typical Battle Royale. Uh, so I'll give three. Uh, Mad Max, I think, could support this mode really well, like that world, that IP. Sure. Similarly, I think The Last of Us could support it very well where you're, you know, hunting for things and trying to build things. Right. And then, I please know I mean this sincerely, but also as a joke, <laughs> I'd like to see a Hunger Games one. Like... <laughs> Like do it just right, go full you know what I mean. Circle, just get all, complete the the circle, right? You know, literally, yeah, literally yeah. complete. Or a battle royale one. Like I think there's something to it. Like, for, uh, Hunger Games inspired this most recent trend of it, way back from Minecraft doing it, and I think it could be really cool to have a, a well done. Like I like that IP, uh, a well done Hunger Games battle royale game. Um, would be really, really interesting. Hmm. I'd love to see the. I mean, just because I love games. From this perspective, I'd love to see the top-down isometric battle royale game. Um, you know, y- y- I think that could be really, really fun. Even you could even do like a um, Smash TV or Geometry Wars. You know, this insane bullet hell version of of of, uh, of that game. I think would be one- wonderful. But I mean, I would love the MOBA, right? I would love the Heroes of the Storm battle royale mode, where you're just it's just an insane number of people all going crazy on each other. I don't know. I think that could all be kind of cool, but I'm also not super in love with the battle royale as a concept. But I think, I think Anthony's car idea is super solid. I think that's a great idea. Twisted metal. Yeah, and, and for the record, to those, I know a lot of people are going to be like H1Z1 does it. It it's nothing like right. twisted metal. It's you not shoot a from car out, combat. You shoot from outside of the car. Right. Right. No. Yeah. This is you're talking like pure car combat. Yeah, I'm talking about you. You the weapons you pick up modify your car, and then by the time you're you know deep into the player pool, however many it is, you have like a twisted metal level of car with cool shields and yeah, dig cool it. ability. That's a great great idea. Uh, here's a quick question from David Akers, who says, "What would cause you to go back to a game you originally bounced off of? Extensive DLC." Thriving online multiplayer, the advice of friends. I think this is a great one in the context of uh, No Man's Sky, for example. You know, is like, is that enough to get you to go back to No Man's Sky or any other game? Is there something in general that gets you to go back to a game, Anthony? Uh, was this question sent in by Bungie? It seemed like it was sent in by Bungie. Oh, <laughs> snap. <laughs> I, Mr. I mean, Mr. Destiny, by the way. Uh, are Mr. you Are Destiny. you even playing it at all? 
actively no 100% not uh it, yeah we we don't need to uh, i i feel <laughs> like the thing the thing that would make me like it, it it really is like the i don't i can't even think of an example off the top of my head but there there have been a few games where they did something comp- i guess fortnite is a good example i played a ton of fortnite uh, when it first came out as Fortnite, like Fortnite saved the world. And then they were like, hey, we made a battle royale out of this. And you're like, okay. And this, it was actually pretty fun. So, But what yeah, about a game that you didn't like originally or that you, oh, like you said you like, bounced yeah, off of? You know, well, the game- I, didn't really, I didn't really like Fortnite. Um, <laughs> Fair enough. But yeah, I, I would – yeah, I think that doing something really kind of like different within that same world, like – Ghost Recon, I really wasn't a big fan of it. Wildlands uh, is what I'm talking about. I wasn't really a big fan of it. And then they're like, hey, we put the Predator. And then I was like, oh, okay, let me see what this is about. <laughs> and then now they're going to put in Sam Fisher or some Splinter Cell event. It's like, oh, okay, okay, I see what you're doing. So, yeah, I, th- I think that uh, having that freedom to, like, be uh, – I don't know. Maybe you're. Uh, maybe there's still like a, a certain agreed upon contract. Like we're gonna be working on this game for X amount of time, and so they they start to like experiment in crazy ways. I think would be the best way to get me to come back to a game I wasn't really into. So new content. New content. Yeah, Christian, how about you? Playing with a friend. Um, you know, a friend really recommending it, especially if it has a co-op mode and we can play together and then maybe I can see, you know, maybe Anthony and I play Sea of Thieves this next week. And I'm like, oh, now I see. I think it's something like that. A, a good Sherpa to take you through a game and to kind of share their love with me. And then that could get me encouraged to play the game that otherwise I, you know, it, that, that didn't click for me. I'm, I tend to agree with you, Christian. I, I think even more than just a friend, I feel like if it was like everybody, if, if, if everybody's jumping off the bridge, I'll jump off the bridge, I guess. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, we have the wingsuit, so it's going to be a lot of fun. Oh, good, 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 good. Uh, yeah, I think even more than DLC, uh, although there are, there would be, there are some kinds of DLC that would get me to come back to a thing for sure. If the game changes up or does something interesting, I, I'm very much, ready for no man's sky to win me back. I I'm, I'm rooting for that game to win me back. So I'm excited to see what they, what they bring. But um, I think more often it would be, everybody's doing it. All of us are having a great time and you're not, it's just my fear of missing out my, my FOMO that uh, a FOMO, excuse me. My FOMO is, uh, is, is really my biggest motivator in life. Yeah. I have terrible FOMO window into my life all right uh quick question this comes from ross he says i know jeff hates movie trailers and does his best to avoid them correct uh how do you guys feel about video game trailers are they better or worse than movies in trying to hype a movie without giving too much away what would you prefer to see besides a trailer love this question ross i found this fascinating uh christian and i had, had a whole discussion in person recently about this very idea. Uh, but let's start with you, Anthony. What do you, what do you think? Uh, are you, do you think movie trailers or video game trailers, do you think they're fundamentally different? And do you think one is fundamentally better or worse than the other? I think that movie trailers, I'm like you, Jeff. I do not watch trailers. I actually, high five. Uh, I, you know, like, don't go into the theater. Yeah. Um, because I used to work at a movie theater. I worked at a movie theater for like 
seven years and I would see yeah. the same trailer and I just like my brain got so active that I started to like put together as mm-hmm. I was watching the movie like I haven't seen the shot in the water oh the finale must be in the water oh right. it must be in the water so but I feel like video game trailers are not constructed that way because they they tend to avoid trying to show you like uh the final sequences because most of the time that's the end of the game and they're not done. <laughs> uh, nice. Like I, I, I definitely get the sense that like the way video game trailers are, are, are built is that they kind of like front load it with stuff you see early on in the game. Um, uh, and, but unfortunately for me, I work, you know, in the gaming news coverage industry, so I don't get the luxury. Like if, if I wanted to avoid trailers, I, I could, I guess, but it, 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 makes me better at my job if I watch them. So I, I have to watch them. Right. Um, but I feel like even if this wasn't what I did, I would be more apt to watch a video game trailer than a movie trailer because uh, video game trailers tend to, you know, avoid uh, spoiling things uh, for whatever reason. There's, you know, you well, there's, there's big, there's big reasons. I, I think that, that in general, video games are less reliant on providing a story. You know, you can enjoy a game you can enjoy a game like Fortnite. You can enjoy a whole lot of games. You can even enjoy story based games. Uh, and the story in them is not <laughs> entirely That's far cry for me. I'm far super cry. enjoying right. that game. Sure. I'm yeah. super enjoying that game. Yeah. I mean, I'm less, less inclined to watch uh, the latest trailer for an uncharted or a last of us, you know, like at a certain point I'll want to cut off those games. Cause those really do are, they really are cinematic, but also I think the other big thing that is the differentiator for me is a video game is culling from 10 hours of content more. And a movie is culling from two, you know, so you're much more likely to get stuff that you're, you're, you know, that is going to impact the, it's a larger chunk of what you're about to see, uh, quite frankly. And I think that is a big part yeah. of it, you know, uh, Christian, what yeah. about you? I think Anthony made some great points. I, I also think that games are so different than movies in the sense that I know what I'm doing when I watch a movie, I'm sitting down and watching a movie. So the trailer is just showing me what I will be seeing or parts right. of what I'll be seeing. And, and video game trailers are showing you what you will be doing to some extent, not all, not all trailers are this way, but that's why I'm more inclined to watch uh, video game trailers because it's like, oh, there's a new Spider-Man game coming out. Right. Oh, is it first person? Is it third person? Is it a MOBA? Like, you know, is it yeah. a battle royale? Like, what, what is it? I want to see what it is. Right. Um, and I guess there's some of that with film. Is it black and white? Is it silent? Is it shot entirely <laughs> yeah. in first person? I'm I don't always know. wondering if it's going to be black and white and silent. Right. That's the thing. I feel like those, <laughs> I, I'm trying to answer the person like, well, yeah. you never know in a movie, but. I think there's more differences in, in, in games and gaming and, and seeing the mechanics or I watched the Game Informers video that they had of the swing mechanic for Spider-Man. I wanted to see how that is, is handled in the game. Something I was curious about that doesn't, doesn't ruin the game for me. And then I think to Anthony's point, yeah, some of these trailers aren't even from the first part of the game. Like the big trailers we most I think people watch aren't in the game at all often. Like, I don't know, <laughs> like Red Dead, the footage we've seen of Red Dead, like that first trailer reveal, that, those were just Vista landscapes, right? Those were tone trailers or like um, Batman um, Arkham Origins were those awesome CG fights with Batman and Deathstroke that I think some of those were made specifically for the trailer that was just a tone piece. Yeah. So a lot of what video game trailers do in my opinion, is very different than what film trailers do. So I'm much more inclined to watch them. But I agree with you, Jeff, that 
you know, I'm not going to watch The Last of Us 2's next trailer unless it's like in the middle of Sony's E3 press conference and I'll probably be like, well, I'm watching this, but which like there's a point. Exactly where it will be, by the way, but yeah. Right, yeah, yeah. But there's <laughs> a point where I don't need to, I'm not looking to consume narrative-based um, trailers for games. I, I think the better comparison is a movie trailer to like a gameplay footage like demo. Like yeah. a movie trailer and a gameplay footage like what, what was coming out from God of War, you know, uh, people playing it uh, for like 20, you know, the 20 minute chunks that people were allowed to put out. It's, mm-hmm. would you watch that? And I would be less likely to watch that yeah, similar to a movie trailer, but I would watch like you guys were talking about Far Cry. There are, you know, key bosses in the game and none of the trailers cover those key bosses. But if it was a movie, you would see those fight sequences <laughs> in every right. trailer. Right. Agreed. Agreed. Uh, well, thank you guys for sending in those quick questions. We appreciate it again. DLC feedback at gmail.com. If you want to send in yours and, or, uh, or the subreddit over on the subreddit. Uh, and that's going to do it for this episode of DLC. We do have a parting gift coming up, so stick around for that. But Anthony Taormina, thanks again. It's so good to talk to you. It's been too long. Uh, yes, thanks for for having me, guys. I was uh, very excited. I when you asked me and said I want you to fight Christian, I did, and I said yes, let's do it. I did. I was Weird. like Jeff told me Anthony was going to be on the show, and he booked you because. He wanted it to be a good show and because we were friends. I didn't know I was being set up to be a patsy. Oh, at this oh hour, look, at, so. look, at, look at Christian trying to turn it around. <laughs> Classic Christian. I've uh, wanted the show to have its own battle royale mode. Um, uh-huh. And so I'm sort of just testing it out. You know, I feel, see if it uh, catches on. Uh, so that's what I was going for. The circle's too big for only three people, Jeff. So <laughs> we're, still, we're still just waiting. That's right. <laughs> uh, Anthony, where can people follow your work online? Uh, well, I'm editor in chief of GameRant.com, so if you want to see anything that kind of like I have my fingers in or I write, uh, GameRant.com is the way to do that. Uh, I'm also on Twitter at AntTormina, which is spelled A-N-T-A-O-R-M-I-N-A, and then I stream pretty much every night on Facebook.com slash GameRant, which is just the Facebook page. I play all the new games. I played Sea of Thieves, if you want to see uh, the 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 juke as we called it uh live on stream nice. uh, it happened anthony who clearly has the world's most understanding wife uh and kudos to you sir um christian spicer what about you what's going on this week a new altmm will be coming out tuesday uh for patrons you can find that at at patreon.com slash Christian Spicer, and then it will go out on the Uninformed Opinions podcast feed Friday, so you can find that there. And then um, Chris Quintos and I will be doing New Department of Parentings. You can find Wait, that. New the- Department of Parentings? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a whole new. It's nude parenting. It's really in vogue <laughs> these days. Um, you can find links to all of that. There are video versions of the show and stuff too, but you can find everything at Department of Parenting dot com i'm trying to think oh i'm gonna be out of town a whole bunch in april but not really doing a lot of shows so i was like why don't i have shows to mention um that's why <laughs> now i remember um but if you want to get in touch uh twitter at spicer instagram christian underscore spicer uh yeah i think that's it what about you jeff you can always listen to me talk about movies and TV shows over on the Slash Filmcast. um uh, we are doing what are we doing this week oh we're doing a quiet place Oof. If you guys, uh, I, I hear would, it's excellent. It is 
it was going to be my parting gift, but then I debated against it. Oh, it is uh, for parents to watch. It is not not easy, not an easy watch for parents, Uh, but very good movie. Um, And that's over at slash filmcast.com. I also do a comedy show called We Have Concerns. We did live episodes at PAX East. It was great fun. Really cool audience. Uh, we have a Q&A episode coming out. So you'll be able to hear those actually uh, in our RSS feed. You can find that at wehaveconcerns.com. Uh, only 20-minute episodes. Give it a shot. Check it out. I think you'll dig it. And uh, what else? What else am I doing? I think that's that's about it. I do play uh, um, Heroes of the Storm. Uh, get coached once a week by Kyle Ferguson uh, on this here Caffeine channel, caffeine.tv slash Jeff Kanata, you can follow me on Twitter to find out exactly when we'll be doing those. Usually Wednesdays at 4 p.m. Pacific. That's uh, at Jeff Kanata on Twitter to find out more. All right, guys. Let us wrap the show up now with our parting gift. Hey, give us a suggestion of what to do this week. Give us a parting gift. This is parting gift. Anthony, do you have a suggestion to help people get through their week? I do. Uh, I am going to recommend a up-and-coming Twitch streamer who goes by the name Jim Lee. Uh, oh. I'm just artist, artist it's extraordinary. Jim it's Jim Lee. Uh, he has, I guess, decided to, he's been doing it for a, a while, but uh, it's it's like my new Twitch obsession. He draws covers and panels live. He does uh, instructional art streams about like how to, you know. Uh, God, I did not know about this. It is it is it is an incredible thing. He's very he's very very like easily distracted. So it it's a long, but it's, <laughs> that explains how timely his books were in my youth. <laughs> but it, it's incredible because he does not draw digitally. He or he is it all on paper, um, all with like pen and ink and pencil. It's it's incredible. He'll he'll teach you stuff about drawing, or you just watch him like do his thing, and you'll see like. Cause Jim Lee art is so incredible with like the little lines. You'll see him just like, just decide, okay, five lines are going right here. And you're like, what? That doesn't make any sense, but it's Jim uh, Lee's art. And it's incredible. I world. highly recommend, uh, twitch.tv slash Jim Lee, all one word. Uh, it's a great, great stream. That is an awesome recommendation. What a world, what a world where you can watch Jim Lee draw online. What a world we live in. Hey, I have told 1992 Jeff Kanata that that was possible. I would not have believed you. That's I watched amazing. him draw live probably around 1992 when I met him. And I think it was like a Contra Costa comic book store where he signed X-Men number one uh, for my Which brothers. Which Contra and I. Costa comic book store? I probably frequented it. Yeah, I don't know, remember the name of the store, but we were probably in line it's for so the same crazy signing. That you and I grew up in the same area. And then... My mom was with us and her our three, the three boys. And when uh, we she got in line, uh, she also had one because we wanted all the variants signed. And he goes, uh, I'll make sure that this one's just for you and they can't take it from you. <laughs> and he like got her name and wrote it really big on it and then drew uh, a Wolverine on nice. the cover. And it said, hands off mom's comic, bub. That's that awesome. Awesome. That's, my mom used to do the same thing when we, uh, I would go to comic book conventions back when they were actually comic book conventions and like comic cons. And, uh, she would, I would always have her get the, uh, these signatures for me because they would spend more time because they're like no women. There was no women at that time at comic book conventions. My mom would be like uh, flirting with the Todd McFarlane and Rob Liefeld and uh, they would give me cool drawings. Anywho, um, 
what were we talking about? <laughs> parting gift. <laughs> parting Jim gift. Jim Lee, he's cool. Yes, uh, very, very cool. I'm excited. Uh, Christian, what's your parting gift? Try new foods. It seems weird and simple, but, you know, that thing that you haven't tried yet, whatever it is, you know, respect your dietary retri- restrictions. I'm not, <laughs> like, And I never had peanut butter because I'm deathly allergic to peanuts. You should try it. It's really good. You should, though. It's <laughs> like, delicious. It is pretty good. Whatever that thing is, there's there's always a thing I feel like that most of us haven't tried. Whatever it is, uh, push your comfort zones and have some delicious, delicious new foods. Um, it's it's man, the culinary world is such a, a vast one now, and this is mostly inspired by um, Chef's Table and all of the wonderful Netflix food documentaries, mm. or just makes me get inspired to try new and outlandish things. Christian's just hungry good. right now. He's just like, uh, let's finish <laughs> this up so I can go eat. <laughs> Always. <laughs> uh, we have a listener suggested parting gift. This was sent to dlcfeedback at gmail.com where you can send your parting gifts to share with our audience. We appreciate that. This comes from Charlie from New Jersey. He says, My parting gift is Nathaniel Ratliff. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Nathaniel Ratliff and the Night Sweats. They have a new album called Tearing at the Seams. If you don't know who they are, they're a blues folk band, and this is their second album. Nathaniel Ratliff's voice is unique and absolutely haunting on some tracks. I also highly recommend their self-titled debut album, which was my favorite album of 2015. Love the podcast. Keep up the good work. Thank you, Charlie. Uh, Nathaniel Ratliff and the Night Sweats. New album, Tearing at the Seams. I like me some blues folk, so I'm going to check that out. Very I get cool. the night sweats after I eat new food sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta lay off that peanut butter. You know you're allergic. Um, I have uh, a, a parting gift. Uh, it's a Netflix a series of Netflix comedy specials. Very curious, Christian, if you've seen these yet or if you know this guy. James Acaster. Yeah. He has um, actually four-hour specials that they released in bulk called The Repertoire, which I assume is just his four hours that he, that he has. Absolutely amazing stuff. I am just so blown away by this material. He's like the king of the callback. Uh, he, he, the structure of his hours are just incredible where he creates these fantastic scenarios that seem like they're just one-off joke, but then he keeps coming back to them and coming back to them and building them out and creating these wonderful narrative devices out of everything. It, it's so self-reflexive and crazy so smart, and none of it is blue. None of it. He doesn't use curse words. He doesn't talk about any off-color topics. It's it's it could you could show it to a ten-year-old and they would find it funny. It is uh, amazing. He's amazing. James A. Caster's repertoire, and it's on Netflix. It's four specials. All of them start with an R. And uh, I watched them on the plane to and from Boston, and I just I just was so impressed. So very cool stuff. All right, that's going to do it for this episode of DLC. Thanks again to Anthony Taramina and Christian Spicer for hanging out with me. Uh, thanks to all of the folks in our chat rooms. Uh, it's a late one. We're doing it. It's almost it, It's after midnight now. Uh, we appreciate you guys hanging out, uh, those of you that did, over at uh, caffeine.tv slash Jeff Canada and uh, twitch.tv slash Christian Spicer, where you can watch us stream live every week and uh thanks to all of our musical contributors patrick l zero star and christian i met sean madigan in person in boston 
he walked up to me after my We Have Concerns panel and he was like, hey, man, I'm Sean Madigan. I was like, the Sean Madigan who created all our cool bumpers? He's like, yeah. Uh, so it was cool meeting him in person. Um, what a delight. What a what a great guy and, and a talented dude who created most of the bumpers that we use on the show. And thanks to all of you. Awesome. Yeah. Did we record it to make it into a bumper? <laughs> that would have been that would have been even better. Uh he does not look like his Twitter profile, though. It's just very funny. I didn't recognize him. Um it was sick burn, man. No, no, no. He he got <laughs> he got LASIK and he didn't have his glasses on. Um, he uh, uh thanks to everybody that downloads the show. We appreciate that. And we'll be back next week. Until then, think about what you put out into the world. Make it a better place. <laughs>